Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Story Not Forgotten podcast. We are brought to you by Capturing Legacies. Because everyone's got a story to tell, it's time to tell yours. Visit CapturingLegacies.com to get started. My name is Liam Rathgaber, partner and anthologist with Capturing Legacies, as well as your host. And joining me today is a world-renowned musician, a saxophone maestro, and just a ridiculously happy individual, Mr. Oliver Miguel. Oliver, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to tell my story. Well, because we do what we do without any do, why don't you tell that story? Um, my story is I was born in a skinny little country in Latin America named Chile. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a beautiful country. It has ocean on one side, mountain on the other, and wine in the middle. <laughs> Sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's pretty, pretty special. Um, however, when I was growing up, we didn't have such a, a great, um, uh, you know, government or experience. So my um, father, who, who had decided and had heard that Canada was accepting refugees from Chile, he came to Canada, and at that time... My family could only afford one plane ticket. I mean, we, I think they saved up for a while and mm-hmm. he was able to buy one plane ticket to come to Canada. And when he came here, he immediately applied as a refugee. And um, he was told from others who had done the similar process that it takes approximately one year for the paperwork to be, to be accepted and whatnot. And then the rest of our family could come and join him here in Canada. So that was the plan. Mm-hmm. And in any case, my, uh, my father did that. He applied. And unfortunately, um, it took a little longer than a year. It took almost five years, actually. Oh. <laughs> and during that time, um, my family couldn't visit him here in Canada, and nor could he come to Chile to visit us because it would uh, avoid the application process. So... Um, we didn't know that it was going to take five years. Every, I mean, when it took a little longer than a year, we were just like, oh, it'll just be a few more months. And we just kind of <laughs> waiting. Right? any day now. <laughs> right. It was any day now for almost five years. That's crazy. Um, and during that time, um, I, I mean, he left when I was five years old, I should say. And I have a twin sister who obviously was the same age. And I had a younger brother who was only two months old when my father left. And of course, my mother. So there was the four of us living in this little apartment, and that was um, that was very special and cozy. I still remember it, and I'm picturing it now as I say this. In any regard, um, during that time, we didn't have the technology that we have today. We didn't have like Facebook or Skype or WhatsApp or mm-hmm. all those things that keep us connected nowadays. But when would this have been? This was in '86 when he left. Okay. Um, or. Sorry, February of, of 87, to be exact. Um, at least that's what I remember. And so we didn't have all those, uh, all those technological things that keep us connected. And on top of it, we actually didn't even have a house phone. So what ended up happening was my parents wrote each other love letters. And I'm talking... There's thousands of love letters that were written during that time. And my father would send, I mean, on top of letters, cards, photos, gifts, 
mm-hmm. and of course uh, money for my family to kind of uh, survive while he was here working as a well he was a mechanic in Chile like a car mechanic mm-hmm. in Chile and when he came to Canada he was you know changing oils which was I mean you have to kind of work your way into back into what he was actually doing mm-hmm. so I remember him he was like just pull up the car like he would do little jobs like that <laughs> and I mean he was learning English at the same time too I, I presume any regard um the love letters and and the the things that he sent were very special meaning that was our only way of connecting with him um and he also sent us um cassettes which were very special because in those cassettes were north american music that i wasn't accustomed to hearing and my family wasn't accustomed to hearing in latin america so there were a lot of cool music like funky stevie wonder earth wind and fire (laughs) you know just good music and of course a lot of love songs Mm -hmm. that we had no idea what the lyrics were he would just he would just be the dj in a sense because he'd make these mixtapes for us (laughs) and in between the songs he would describe what the song was about and and things like that you know what i mean so it was very um very special and my mom would of course blast those tapes in our little apartment and put it on repeat until the next tape came and then of course put that one on repeat so we went through tapes and tapes and tapes of music tapes and it instilled a, a lot of love for music for me and love for for you know music that was foreign mm-hmm. to me and i didn't know the the language um he also came from a, a very musical family uh, i should say and anyways he just loves music and he he, he still does and he still recommends artists and, and music to me today um, and that's cool because I, I mean as a mus- as a full-time artist musician I, I of course I'm listening to music all the time but it's nice to have this person that I trust I trust his taste so much because mm-hmm. he's never steered me wrong with with musical um, advice well and his his tastes would have had such a huge influence on you over the years because that's what you grew up with yeah absolutely he he instilled those that music in 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 me at least and i remember um all those i mean just we still have those tapes <laughs> and they're in a, the whole all the love letters all the little cards and everything are in a box in my parents attic <laughs> and i've asked them access to it and i do have access to it they've given me permission to go through it and and the plan is not one uh, one day not this next album that i'm working on but one day i'm going to um make an album about their love letters oh that'll be great so it's it's not the next one but it's probably the one after that that i'm going to just go through the letters and and compose music inspired by their love affair i guess i suppose and they're still together today they've been married like 38 years now Mm -hmm. um it has worked out for them (laughs) um and they've since had another baby when we came back to canada my my parents had another baby but anyways i'm getting ahead of myself because um it took five years for us almost five years for us to be reunited and and my parents just kept that love for each other and and that sacrifice they made in order for for us the children to have a better quality of life here in Canada and so for me I'll, I'll never take that for granted because I know what it was like living there and I've gone back since and I know that what it's like there and it's a beautiful country don't get me wrong but I, the type of opportunities that I have in Canada, I can't compare. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very grateful and honored to, to be a Canadian today, you know, to live here and to, 
to call myself a Canadian, travel with a Canadian passport. Um, it's something I, I don't take for granted. So um, I remember that day when we arrived at the Calgary International Airport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we got out of, you know, out of security. And I saw my father in the distance and I recognized them instantly. You know, even though I hadn't seen him in so long and even though my memory is maybe very short, mm-hmm. having been so young, um, I immediately ran as fast as I could towards him. <laughs> and he knew it was me and he got down and my sister was running next to me because we remembered him and it was very special, obviously. And my mom stayed behind with my younger brother who was almost five now mm-hmm. and he didn't know who he was. So it was a different experience for him, obviously. But I remember him asking me the first night, he's like, why is that guy sleeping in my in mom's bed? Because <laughs> he's like, that's my spot. <laughs> well, and at five years old, you already have, you have an idea of who everyone is. That's right. I mean, by, by the age of two or three, if you, if you haven't met somebody, they're a stranger at that point. You, you know your family, you know you're not family. So it's, it's going to be a huge adjustment to to meet this person for the first time at that age. Absolutely. And, and I think he, he, it was, it was a little different for him and he struggled in different ways and I struggled in different ways. Like, I mean, I came to Canada and I didn't know the language. Mm-hmm. Um, since I've learned it, as you can tell, it, it shows. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I worked really hard to learn the language, which, which was important to me because at school I needed to communicate to other uh, students like my feelings or my things and I was I took it very serious and I wanted to learn it quickly and I would watch uh, TV in English so like The Simpsons Will Smith <laughs> Mr. Dress Up uh, Sesame Street mm-hmm. those were the key shows that I learned <laughs> my English quickly with anyways I I feel that that was that was my that's my story of coming here as, as an immigrant and feeling welcome feeling like I could do anything. And then shortly after that, I have, after arriving at the age of 12, my father forced me into music. <laughs> and um, he, it was interesting because I did not want to go into music. I wanted to be a soccer player, just like <laughs> every other kid from Latin America. <laughs> and, and obviously he, he got his way. Mm-hmm. And the way he got it was he, he asked my twin sister to to do music and she agreed only um, on the condition that I would also do music with her. Ah, so there's a little bit of guilt there. So there was like two (laughs) people telling me you need to do music in order for this to happen. So I I did go into it. Um, I ended up really liking it right away and I wasn't sure what instrument to even play. And so I came back to my father and I said, the teacher wants to know what instrument I want to play. Because they first, at least when I was studying, they were first teaching us how to read music mm-hmm. before they even gave us an instrument or put an instrument in front of us, which is, I guess, unique in that sense. And my father said, play the saxophone. I said, okay. Like he literally told me to play the saxophone and <laughs> just plucked one out of the air. So here, play this instrument. <laughs> well, it was a little different. I went back to the teacher. I said, I want to play saxophone. And then anyways, uh, eventually I came home with a saxophone mm-hmm. that we rented and um, the tenor saxophone, and it was, you know, almost the size of me <laughs> at the time. 
but and I have a picture somewhere of it of me just holding it. And it's like it goes down to like my calf, you know. <laughs> um, maybe it was watching The Simpsons, watching Lisa Simpson play the saxophone. I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and it ha- and having a lot of meaning to her in the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that was it. And then um, as a teenager, I, I guess the shift of coming to Canada and the the not having a father around, I. I I was acting out. Mm-hmm. I would say that I don't know exactly why, but and also maybe just hanging out with the wrong crowd. I was acting out a lot during my teenage years, and because of that, I would get grounded a lot. And by grounded, I mean sent to my room, mm-hmm. um, which was nice to have my own room finally in Canada because <laughs> I had never had my own room in Latin America. <laughs> Anyways, and that would have been in the days when go to your room doesn't mean internet and TV and all that. It's, it's basically a box in the house where your bed is. That's right. So (laughs) I couldn't do anything in my bedroom except there was a saxophone there. So sometimes I would get, well, I remember one time I got grounded for an entire summer and that was a big deal. (laughs) And so, um, I ended up playing my saxophone every day for an entire, and I'm talking like 14 to 16 hours a day. Just playing. There's nothing else to do. I was like, I'm not allowed to leave unless it's bathroom. Mm-hmm. And I'm really in trouble. And I don't want to get sent back to Chile, which was one of the <laughs> threats. One of the threats that I was told. So I was like, okay, I'm really misbehaving. I'm going to just... So I ended up playing my saxophone. And uh, honestly, my parents didn't tell me to practice once in my entire life. It was just, I got grounded. <laughs> and so I played my saxophone in my room um, endlessly until it was time for bed and, and then repeat the next day. Mm -hmm. And I think during that summer, I realized and recognized that I wanted to be a musician. Um, that was my dream. And I remember in my junior high yearbook, you know, they ask you what you want to be or what's your plans. And I just put a, a saxophone player. Mm-hmm. Or a bum. Like it wasn't, <laughs> there was no in between. <laughs> and in some cases, they weren't in the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could play on the street, I suppose. Um, so I knew from an early age that I wanted to be a sax player. And it's thanks, and it's thanks to this incredible uh, journey and, and sacrifice that my parents made that I was able to fulfill this, this dream. I, I can assure you I would not be a musician if I was living in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very grateful again. And that's basically my story of immigrating to Canada. Well, and it's gotta be just a, just a terrifying thing to decide you're going to leave everything that you know and go to this new place on the chance that it's better. Right. And, and pack up the whole family. And like, even as a, as a kid, when, when the, when the paperwork finally went through and you were able to, to finally come to Canada, packing it, packing everything up and, and leaving the rest behind that, that has to be a hard day. Yeah. I I think it was harder for my sister than it was for me. I'll be honest. I was ready to go in an hour. Like I'm (laughs) ready to go. I missed my father. My father was very special to me growing up. I had a very uh, deep connection with him and, and he was everything to me. So I was ready to go. Like, let's go today. Unfortunately, the, the next direct flight was like four days later. So mm-hmm. we were on that flight. But my sister, my mom would go, I guess another detail about the story. My mom would go every week to the consulate mm-hmm. 
and ask how much longer. It was her <laughs> way of like banging on doors, I suppose, of asking it to be faster. Although the person who she talked to probably didn't have any power in speeding up the process. But in her mind, she was doing something, I think. So I remember it was on Thursdays. She would go to the Capitol, which uh, was about a 45 minute to an hour bus ride from mm -hmm. our, our city. Um, she would go there every Thursday and my grandma would come over and take care of us during that day. I just, that was her routine. I remember it. And she would come back empty handed, of course, for like a couple hundred weeks. <laughs> um, and then one day she came back and she was quiet and she didn't say anything. She just came back and just stood at the door. And my grandma said, you have the visas. <laughs> and she said, I do. And she like pulled out like visas, like travel visas for us. And I was so happy. I was ready to go. My sister started crying because we had just gotten a puppy like two weeks before. <laughs> and she just was crying, the puppy, the puppy. And she's crying and holding the puppy. She did not want to leave the puppy behind. <laughs> It was, it's a funny reaction at the time. Of course, she, she, she felt that's her, that was her life in that moment. And so for her, it was harder in a different aspect, but we were all so excited and so eager because we had been waiting for so long. This was, this was heaven. Like mm -hmm. this was the dream. You know what I mean? So that, that for me, it wasn't hard to leave. No. <laughs> So you've obviously taken that dream and grabbed a hold of it and really made something of it. So let's talk about now. So, yeah. well, not necessarily now, but in the, in the very near future. You have, first off, you are working on a new album. Right. Yes. I'm working on my third album. I've, I've already recorded a handful of songs and I, am, I haven't released anything yet because I, it's... Because a lot of artists do release singles. I guess mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's very popular to do. And I will be doing that. It's, it's just strategically, I've been advised to do it a little differently for, for marketing purposes, which, is, which I respect people who help mm -hmm. me with marketing. Because as a musician, I don't always uh, you know, know that world as well. So it, um, yes, I am recording my third album. And it's in the world genre, which heavily Latin music, mm -hmm. I suppose. It's a Latin album which falls into the world category at the Junos because I'm always thinking the Junos. To me, that's that's my dream is, mm -hmm. is to to have a Juno, which would be amazing for any musical career. I just that's my next step. I feel it in my heart and I dream about it <laughs> regularly. The Junos, the Junos. So when I'm making an album, I'm specifically thinking about what genre it is. How many songs does it fall into that category? Mm -hmm. Does it meet all the criteria? Because um, that's that's the goal. I have a hashtag called "Take Me to the Junos," which people <laughs> tag me on. <laughs> and yeah, if, if you've got a marketing expert saying, "Here's when you release the songs," then yeah, you do the music, let the business person do the business, and hopefully it all works out in the end. Yeah, I hope. So. I think so. I, I I mean, it'll be better than just me going and releasing it, I think having a strategy is always better. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I am working on my third album. I'm also obviously performing full-time. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. um, my next concert here in Calgary is March 15th. Um, and it's going to feature my um, party band, which I haven't 
really feature too much because we do a lot of private events. We do a lot of weddings. We do a lot of corporate events mm-hmm. and galas and conferences, like I was telling you. <laughs> so we, we get a chance to perform privately a lot. However, sometimes it's nice to just put on a show that's public. Um, so we are doing that. It's, it's, it's a unique band and it's called Oliver Miguel and the Revolucion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we are having a good time bringing love and joy to all of our performances. And it's just something that's contagious. That's how we've been described. Mm-hmm. It's contagious energy and we just have a good time. And, and in return, I feel the audience is always having a great time with us. So um, that's my next performance here in Calgary. So you said that's uh, that's March 15th. Where's that going to be? That's going to be at a venue called the Calgary Center for Spiritual Living. Mm-hmm. And it has parking, it has you know stage, lighting, <laughs> Um, sound system it has everything there so it's it's ready to go for anyone listening that's not in Calgary mentioning parking first is that's big here <laughs> Park, parking is that, that's that's unobtainium in this city <laughs> uh, where can people find t- uh, find tickets to that so on my website olivermiguel.com uh, M-I-G-U-E-L um, there's a link there to find tickets to my events and see other events that I'm doing as well as um, there's a lot of links there and a lot of videos and we can just, you know, you can go there and browse my music, I suppose. Yeah. And in those videos, the saxophone is not the only instrument that you play. Right. Um, I'm recently, I've been kind of branching out Mm -hmm. and I do play other instruments. Um, during my teenage years, I started to pick up other instruments and, and so now I am described as a Mm multi-instrumentalist, which is a wonderful title because I, I was inspired by seeing other musicians who I admire very much who play more than one instrument. So I've kind of, you know, tried to um, be as good as my heroes Mm -hmm. or trying to anyways. And I have this thing called the Oneness Project, which is a completely other project um, compared to my Revolucion, which is me performing eight instruments all at the same time, thanks to a fancy looper. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've done those type of performances um, for the last couple of years as well in theaters and, and around uh, and it's it's amazing because I get to kind of explore my creativity in a completely different way and I feel like the audience really enjoys actually watching me pick up an instrument put it down do a little loop with this mm-hmm. one then picking it up then singing a little bit then playing the sax and it's very you know for them, it's chaotic because it's it's like so much is happening. What if something goes wrong? And they're right. If something goes wrong, it's, it can go south pretty fast. Yeah. And if you haven't heard any uh, any looping music or seen it happen, uh, definitely go to the website. We'll have a link in the liner notes. There is a, a video right on your website of you, of you doing a looping track. And the way it works is you record it a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. And then you set that to, to loop back and it plays that part on, on a loop. And then you pick up the next piece and you, you basically harmonize with what you've already recorded. And then you add that on. And as you go loop by loop, you're building this, this fantastic piece of music. And it's, it's a really, really cool art form because instead of it just being a song that's all presented at once, you actually get to experience it being created in, in basically the purest sense. It goes layer by layer until you have the finished product. Absolutely. And it's very fun for me because I can, I can be creative in how to build it because it doesn't have to be always the same way. Like, so sometimes I'll, I'll put a little piano loop, for example, mm-hmm. and then I'll sing a little verse because I want to capture the audience. 
Because if I take two minutes to get to a verse, it's, it's a little too long. So I strategically place things in certain areas. So I will do um, one instrument, then something that they can grab onto, and then I'll layer a guitar on top of it, and then something they can grab onto, and then I'll put percussion so it's a little groovier. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, okay, and it's starting to feel. And then finally I get to a chorus, and they're like, okay, this is amazing. And, you know, you start to see how creative you can be with it I feel it's amazing for me to even perform it because I I feel so free Mm -hmm. mind you some of my musician friends are not so happy because I've been hiring them a little less (laughs) (laughs) so but it's been really fun for me I I get to explore it and I have to practice it it's not something that I can improvise on the spot well it takes so much precision exactly exactly which is something that I really like about it because as soon as you you as soon as you lose something or you do something that's not precise you're listening to it on loop that's not <laughs> precise so it's 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 very important to be very precise because you're basically going to listen to that over and over for a couple of minutes and if it's not good then trust me it doesn't it makes everything else sound not well, good especially <laughs> as an artist it'll just drive you crazy yeah <laughs> I'm, sorry i got to do that loop again and you got to erase it and go back it's just but anyways it's it usually goes well, and I haven't had a huge uh, problem yet, but it's really, really fun and to watch and to, I, I feel that it's fun to, for me to even perform it. So having said that, I'm doing that in actually in April for a school as part of their assembly. I'm oh, performing cool. my oneness project for, for, a, for a school and I'm looking forward to that. I mean, it's, it's going to be really fun. And, and I've actually, um, performed it even as a busker. I've pulled, brought all my instruments went downtown mm-hmm. plugged it in and just played it in front of people and it's it was actually my one of my first times ever busking i've never really busked in my career but uh two years ago i applied for the busking permit mm-hmm. and <laughs> i was like well this is interesting i want to explore something new you're always learning and, and growing and and that was one of my ways perhaps it's backwards a lot of musicians maybe start out as busking and then move on to being and, uh, uh, you know, playing in restaurants or bars and then hopefully concert halls. Um, well, I was already performing in concert halls, but I went backwards and I was like, I want to try busking. And I did. And that's and I presented my oneness show for people on the street. And it was a it was really fun for me. Um, and I really captured some people's imagination and seeing what I'm doing. And it's fun. Yeah. Well, definitely, we're going to get all these links into the liner notes. So look there. Uh, check out the website. Check out some of these videos. It's some really cool stuff. Uh, we'll get the uh, the concert information up there. When Great. the album drops, definitely send us a note, and we will get the word out for that as well. Amazing. And you were also going to give a little gift to the listeners here. We- right. Yes, I, I agreed to give a gift. And um, I have... Uh, like I had said earlier, I have a handful of songs that have already been recorded mm-hmm. for my next album. And I'm going to um, give you a copy of one of the songs that you can, um, I don't know, do as you wish with. We're going to close out the show with it. Perfect. So the song that I've chosen is it's called Tear This Night Apart. And it's all about just having fun and not letting people get in the way of your 
fun. You know what I mean? So um, that's the best I can describe it. It's a very upbeat, fun song. You can definitely dance to it. And um, it's, it's been fun recording it. I mean, writing it was really fun. And then recording it, there's a few different versions of it that I've done already of it. Mm -hmm. But the one that I'm going to give you is, is, is the more upbeat, fun party one. <laughs> well, everyone likes fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that and for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Liam. And thank you all for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. If you have, make sure to head over to iTunes or the Google Play Store, hit that subscribe button so you never miss a future episode. While you're there, we would absolutely love it if you could leave us a rating or a review. The more of those we have, the higher we'll appear in the search results, allowing us to find more guests and bring more stories to more of you. If you have a story that you'd like to share on the show, get a hold of me at liam at capturinglegacies.com and we will get you on the air and until next time remember everyone's got a story to tell it's time to tell yours visit capturinglegacies.com to get started To untangle my vocal cords to escort you from the script to the stage. I even ripped up this page. I know I'm acting a fool, but I fancy you. Is that a ride with your rhythm and my rhymes? We can rhythm and start a tribe. Two step a cha cha, yo, mom. Well, we never added years. What's your deepest fear? Can I tell you mine? Being trapped in my mind. See, I record in the dark and I'm riding the light. Tonight I stepped outside and your cypress arrived. So, can we go for a drive and watch the sun rise? Old fashioned passion, that's what die. So, are you down to ride?